Getting back to running after having a baby is one of the most common things that people ask me about, either in clinic or on social media or email. My name is Dr. Jocelyn Conley. I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist and host of Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs, a podcast where we discuss all the P's of pelvic health, pooping, peeing, pain, pleasure, physical activity, and personal development. And today, I'm going to dive into this topic of getting back to running after having a baby with one of my friends and colleagues, Dr. Amanda Olson. She's been on the show before, and it was an episode last year on vaginal trainers. And yes, we do talk a little bit about vaginal trainers in today's episode, but we are specifically talking about how she helps newer runners and advanced runners get back to running after having a baby. Just a little bit about Amanda before we dive into today's show. She is a an advanced pelvic floor pra- practitioner and she also teaches uh, topics really in pelvic health on the national level and she is the expert behind Intimate Rose, a women's health brand whose mission is to improve the health of women worldwide. She creates devices and educational resources to address common and treatable women's health issues for patients and other healthcare providers. She's also the author of the book, Restoring the Pelvic Floor for Women. Besides all of that, she's just an awesome person. She's super sweet. She is located in in Oregon, so if you are out in the Pacific Northwest, check her out. And a little bit about today's episode, besides talking about how she helps newer and advanced runners get back to running, we do talk about my love for pelvic, uh, the pelvic weights by Intimate Rose. I get so excited when I have a patient that is ready for weights. And... This is a point of like kind of controversy because a lot of people just buy weights and they don't really know how to use them. And a lot of people have an overactivity problem and actually need the opposite of weights. So we do talk about that. And then she talks about her favorite case on a woman that she helped get back to running. And the first thing we talk about too is a really important subject and it's what are the common mistakes women make when they get back to running? So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If for all of the listeners, if you want to check out her products, she's Intimate Rose is my favorite and I recommend them over that company over most. I have a 10% discount that is linked in the show notes. So be sure to check out there. Check that out. There's also an option for a $5 off. So whichever is better. And then don't forget to don't forget our disclaimer. The information used in the podcast is solely for information and educational purposes only and shouldn't be used in substitute of medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And one last thing, if you're not already subscribed, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Please rate and review also. More people need to know this information. And then check out the podcast shorts that will now be released every Monday that a longer episode is released. So this is a longer episode. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for coming back onto the show. Why don't you, let's, let's just start off by you reintroducing yourself to those that may have not 
listen to our first episode on using vaginal trainers for to improve their pelvic health. Absolutely. So I'm Amanda Olson. I'm a pelvic health physical therapist. Um, I'm also the president and chief clinical officer of Intimate Rose, which is a pelvic health brand where I create devices and courses and education around all things pelvic health. And then I'm also an instructor where I teach specifically on pelvic health and running for pelvic health providers of all different types. And I teach on other topics as well, but running is definitely a passion of mine. So basically you guys, she's been around the block. She's a trustworthy source. (laughs) She's my go-to person to talk all things devices. And the first person I go to whenever certain ads pop up onto my screen and I'm like, what is this crap? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm so excited to have you back on the show. And a lot of the listeners will reach out to me and talk about what what you like to talk about specifically, they want to know about running. And that is something that I thought would be, it would be perfect opportunity for you to share your philosophy on return to running. So let's just start off on like, what do you see? What is, what are the majority of women doing right now? And what are those that are doing it well doing versus the, 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 the group that is not that they could definitely use some help. What do you see out there? Um, Quite honestly, I see a couple of different trends that are contrary to each other. I mean, I I see a lot of people being guided by Google and other social media that are non-providers. So I I tend to see women um, that don't have advisory from their healthcare providers or public health PT, which is most of them. (laughs) We're working on it, but it's most of them. Um, I see them returning to run wherein they are going from zero to 60 because, and this is very normal, like I don't find fault, like, you know, we have this idea in our head of who we are as a runner, and then we get pregnant, and then we deliver either by means of C-section or vaginal delivery, and our body goes through so many changes, but our image of ourselves doesn't change. And so then we have this delivery and we go to our six week uh, postpartum follow-up visit with a birth provider. And there's this magic green light that goes off wherein there's clearance to engage in sexual intercourse and to return to life as we knew it. And we try to re-engage with our fitness and with our running as if nothing happened. And so, you know, I see people having training errors in their running, or I see them going out engaging and experiencing new symptoms of urinary incontinence, pelvic pain or pressure, which may indicate pelvic organ prolapse. Um, So that's the majority of what I see. I also see fear-driven lack of engagement. And I, I think that a lot of this comes from false information about birth. And um, some of it is true, but it's not given in this shades of gray variance wherein we educate people that yes, there is tissue change, there can be injury. It is something that we can rehabilitate and then we can get you back to running wherein they have now this fear of re-engaging and they don't engage at all. So those are the two biggies that I see um, happening 
certainly there's like still a lot of women like re-engaging in a safe way, but those are the two that cause me the greatest concern and also the greatest amount of sadness. So I love all the words that you use, like re-engaging and the two groups that you're seeing. And I, I see, I see those two groups as well. And being in the CrossFit community, probably zero, less than 1%, I see a healthy return to activities like running and CrossFit, but yeah, you've got the two you go, they get released and then they're right back trying to run 60 minutes. And here I'm like, Hey, have you ever, this is a CrossFitter. I'll be like, okay, let's count your cadence. And they, let's for, for ease of math, let's say their cadence is 100 steps per minute, which is super slow. Yeah. Um, multiply that by let's say they go for a 10 minute run hundred times, 10, a thousand repetitions. I'm speaking in CrossFitter language. No one has really ever done a, a something for a thousand repetitions in that amount of time. And they're like, Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. But, and then I do want to comment on social media. These, I have a real problem, Amanda, with our culture and how it's driving behaviors. And I've, I've been recently working on a book and I've scrapped the book, not scrapped it, but it's, I'm putting it aside until I start addressing culture because it doesn't make sense until we understand. I mean, like Kylie Jenner and what's the other, the other girl, the other Jenner, if you go on their Instagram and you look at their photos, Kylie had a baby. That is not what the majority of women look like after having a baby. Yeah. That's not real life. And that's what women are comparing themselves to and putting their, 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 the pressure on themselves. So I agree. Okay. So those are the two camps. And what are your thoughts on changing that right now? Like, how do we get that camp of women that are, are given the green light by providers that should not be giving anyone green lights on <laughs> anything physical when they don't know anything about physical activity if they're not working out. Um, what do we do about that? Absolutely. So as providers, as pelvic health rehabilitation specialists, we are, we still have a lot of work to do to form that bond with these birth providers so that we provide seamless transition similar to models in France and the United Kingdom, wherein pelvic health, physical therapy, or occupational therapy is just normative part of care so that we can welcome them in, provide a proper evaluation, determine where they are, because at six weeks, some women are ready to start engaging in some pretty decent levels of fitness, or some of them have significant injury that needs to be addressed. So we get them in, we welcome them in, we find out what their goals are, and we tell them we are going to work with them to reach those goals. Because um, as I mentioned, there's a, there's a variety of different outcomes in that birth. And so providing them with, at the baseline, just an evaluation, and at, at, at the very least, providing them with some guidance for safe return, and at the very most, providing significant care to help them repair and provide that safe stepwise transition in. Um, because I do see on our side, 
on the pelvic PT side, I see a lot of PTs um, doing some non-evidence-informed care and educating that is really a disservice. I see a lot of PTs drawing lines in concrete that should be lines in the sand. It is a gray area as to when public um, patients return to run. We have to evaluate the person in front of us. A couple of years ago, there were some guidelines put forth on the blog by Tom Goom, Grainier yeah. Donnelly, um, Emma Blackwell, who are all amazing and very smart physiotherapists. But unfortunately, what happened here in the US is that a lot of PTs misread or misquoted that article. And it was a blog article. It wasn't, it wasn't published in a, a peer-reviewed journal. Um, they, they have all individually published a lot of really amazing work. But um, you know, they published their infographic. But the rest of it was not necessarily peer-reviewed. But they created this step of like, let's, let's examine what might be necessary. They put forth some screening me mechanisms, which were awesome. And they also put forth a notion of timelines and wherein they were saying it's less advised to return to run prior to three months. And they used that term, less advised. However, a lot of PTs here in the US were like, well, <laughs> nobody shouts run prior to three months. And that upsets a lot of patients. It upsets a lot of different other providers because um, you're, you're creating constraints on a person that may be, um, their pelvic floor is in great shape and they are appropriate for a stepwise return to run. Um, so when we create those lines, sometimes that creates this um, lack of people wanting to come and see us uh, because they feel great and they, um, they, you know, they see this thing out there and they don't want to be told not to do something. That's not to say that we don't have a role in telling a person in front of us that presents with very serious conditions that they should wait while we work with them on preparing them to return to run. So that's something I'm really passionate about is um, educating both the public and other providers that um, it is highly variable. It is unique to the person in front of us. And we do need to lean on the evidence. We also need to meet the person in front of us where they're at. So well stated. And I'm so glad you brought that up because from a public standpoint and like what I put out there, I'm pretty strict. I come off as more strict on my social medias than I am in the clinic because it's more conservative, I would say. And, <clears throat> but when people see me in person, I am, there are people like that they come in and I think I attract a healthier population and more fit population. So more often than not, I am not sticking to like, you shouldn't be rushing to run. It's more of a, along the lines of a couple months postpartum or even less depending on the person. Now, I think from my, from, from my end and the reason why I come from a more strict, uh, I think a more strict part of the, the spectrum is because I see a lot of, and this is maybe just my population is exercise is their sole coping strategy and they're not fueling their bodies enough. And there there's other underlying things that I think the risk reward 
and they're symptomatic, of course. Like I'm not saying people that feel great. No, you can't do that. But that is why. And I don't want to feed into any underlying um, undiagnosed, you know, you, you give up one addiction and you have another one type of deal. Oh yeah. But I do like, I'm on, I'm on your, I agree with you in that. And I don't think people understand this. Like the exam is everything. We can't just put this protocol out there. Like even from an exercise standpoint, Amanda, I follow principles, but there is no protocol that these people need this no matter what. And the way I look at it, like my exam is like, where's the failed load transfer? Is it the transverse plane, the frontal plane, the sagittal? And we train that and then we work from there. But I have yet to see presentations like be exactly the same or that one person needs the exact same thing. And I think pelvic PT and in our profession is this like sexy idea. Oh, I want to be a pelvic PT. So there's a lot of new PTs out there, which is fine. It's great that more of us are out there, but I, yeah, everyone's individual and needs to be treated as such. So if you're listening and someone comes at you and you, they haven't even done your exam yet. And they're like, no, then I would be, I would be, um, you want to work with someone that is working with you and not working and being a dictator in, in the relationship. So let's transition now. I want to hear about how you help people return, how you help. Let's talk about like a more novice person, someone that just, that let's just go with, let's lose the baby weight. You've got that, that person. And then after we talk about that person, a, a more experienced mom, get back to running. And then if you want to use specific cases, of course, that that's always helpful as well. Absolutely. Um, so for a more novice runner, um, factors that I would consider going into creating a plan of care from a pelvic PT perspective are what was their running like prior? Um, because a novice runner still could have had some sort of running program in place prior to uh, pregnancy and delivery. Um, if, if there was nothing in place and now they are coming in for pelvic health related symptoms and looking to start running from the ground up, um, certainly I would be performing an internal pelvic floor exam when they were deemed fit for it. And then starting some building blocks that consisted of pelvic floor exercises, hip, abdominal, and complete lower extremity exercises, and feet exercises based off of my findings. Um, It is so important to address the whole body, posture, breathing mechanics, all of those things. One of the things that I find um, that gets missed a lot are the feet. The feet go through significant changes during pregnancy. We have hormones coursing through our blood <laughs> and then we have added very normal weight gain. And so that changes our arch. It changes how we walk in our gait. Um, and those don't snap back for, you know, to use the fancy term, snap back. The feet don't just snap back. <laughs> and, and so the foot intrinsic muscles are just as important in the pelvic floor. And I want to encourage all pelvic floor providers to be checking feet and including feet exercises in the plan of care, whether they're a runner or not, to help restabilize uh, that from the ground up. Um, And I would be stepwise progressing the strength, endurance, and coordination of all of those items as the patient was able. 
And then when it comes to running, the, there's some data that shows that, uh, you know, if we increase speed, volume, pace by more than 20 to 30% in any given two week cycle, that puts someone at risk for more injury. So we wanna be conservative, especially if they are postpartum because all those items you hit on, their nursing status is important because that gobbles up calories and that can put somebody into an energy deficient stage. So we wanna be looking at their energy levels. And then also fatigability of the muscles are prevalent in the postpartum population. So we have fatigability of sleepiness because they as a human being are not sleeping. And then we have fatigability of the muscles themselves. And we know that the abdominals particularly are fatigable in this population. So we wanna be progressing exercise and running conservatively to help ensure one, that they're laying down the proper foundation and two, that we're not overexerting them. You know, we wanna find that healthy buffer. We gotta challenge them or they're not gonna get stronger, but we also wanna keep from blowing them over. So when it comes to increasing their running, I like to do a run walk cycle um, and increase it stepwise by roughly 10% to stay conservative and then bump them along on that in, in tandem with all the things that we're doing in one-on-one -on -one physical therapy. <laughs> I love it. And it, what, anything, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but were you going to add anything else? No, I was going to go to like a more experienced runner then too. Okay. Let, can I ask you a question? Yes. I think I, yes. I want to ask you a question. So you mentioned I, everything. Yes. I, uh, with the internal exam and the, the building blocks, how do you get the the novice like maybe they're new to all of this and they didn't have have the discipline before oh, how do sure. you get them to stick through the program and get it all in and because I I the 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 easiest people to work with from that context are the ones that had the discipline beforehand and then they're easy sometimes, sometimes hard if it's, they want to do too much, but how do you get the novice to come in for their PT sessions and then do the stuff on their own? I try to keep their home exercise program under 10 to 20 minutes per day. And the way that I do that is uh, I call it killing two birds with one stone. <laughs> um, I, I stack their pelvic floor exercises with their other exercises. So once they've shown that they can properly activate the pelvic floor, I couple the Kegel or the pelvic floor muscle activation with the hip exercises and the feet exercises so that they're getting that volume together at the same time, which is good from a neuromuscular standpoint because we need that coordination anyways. Um, and it's also good just to be getting multimodal exercises in. And then every exercise that I do has three or four functions in it. For example, a bridge, like we're getting core, we're getting kicks, we're getting glutes, we're getting all the things, throw a band around it, we're getting the rotators. So every exercise has at least three muscle groups that I'm targeting. And that way I keep that program very tight. And that way they're more likely to stay the course. Um, and then just, you know, motivational interviewing, which I think a lot of us are really great at in rehabilitation anyways, where, you know, we're on their team, we're trying to understand their barriers, we are trying to like coach them into, you know, ways of being successful. Um, so, yeah, totally. I also want to bring up the feet. 
So we know that you and I know, Amanda, that the feet are connected neurologically with other postural muscles, including the pelvic floor. And people look at me like I'm crazy when I'm like, take your shoes off and your socks off. I want to see your feet. And sometimes like before I even cue the pelvic floor, I cue things with the feet because that sends, like, it really does start with the feet. Yeah. It is such a game changer in so many things that I have done. And I try to want, I try to not have people think about their pelvic floor if they don't have to. That usually comes in later, but like, yeah, if other, if other PT, pelvic PTs or PTs are listening to this, if you forget about the feet, then you're forgetting, forgetting about a big part. And then if you're listening to this and you're working with a pelvic PT and they haven't brought up feet, bring it up. Absolutely. So now, what is a more, what does it look like to work with a more advanced or experienced runner postpartum? Yep. So depending on, you know, every birth being very unique and different, um, again, we're starting at the top with pelvic floor muscle evaluation, posture examination, um, strength testing of the glutes and abdominals and lower extremity. Again, it's going to look very similar. We're going to, we're going to start with the building blocks of pelvic floor and feet and ensuring that they're properly contracting their pelvic floor. Um, because again, still, even if they were like a high-end runner, a lot of times there are anatomical changes and coordination changes to those. So I would get that in place if they are showing me as either on initially eval or a couple visits down the road, a couple weeks down the road, um, adequate muscle strength and support of their pelvic floor muscles, then I want to get them on the treadmill and I want to do a gait evaluation of them running and see what running characteristics they might need a little tune up on so that they're efficient and less likely to get injured. Um, so I'm looking at their cadence as you already touched on. I'm looking at how they are attenuating their forces on the treadmill. So how they stack their knee and their hip above their foot. Um, and then I'm talking to them about if it provokes symptoms. Um, and then from there, we would create a game plan for, again, a very conservative stepwise progression of running volume in order to get them to whatever goal it is, whether it's like a specific pace or um, race that's on the horizon, if they're competitive or even if they're amateur, but looking to be reaching some new goals or um, going back to their old goals. Sounds awesome. So I'm sure that people will wonder, well, what's the timeline of this all? So what do you, what can you say about timeline? I, you know, again, so variable, um, a person that comes in that had a pretty straightforward, uneventful pregnancy and delivery where there was minimal impact on the pelvic floor, um, they may be ready to be independent. So not coming to physical therapy anymore after roughly, let's say eight weeks where, you know, we're getting them going, progressing those exercises weekly, getting them up and really dynamic and strong and also building their endurance. Um, and then some people, are going to take significantly longer. And another thing is, is that this population, they have to cancel a lot of appointments. That's just part of life. You know, it's the baby has an appointment, the baby's sick They're, you know, they didn't get any sleep last night. They're not feeling well. Um, so all of those things tend to create for a, a longer relationship in physical therapy. And that is just how life goes. And that's where we just, again, we meet them where they are. And like, 
you know, that's, that's just how it goes. Yeah, that that's, it sounds so vague, but I agree. Like some women are eight weeks, some women are 18 months. And I mean, I've seen some devastating birth injuries and they just take longer in there. And I say, I, this is what I believe, Amanda. I don't think anyone can speed up and skip any healing steps, but I think you can screw it up. Yes, 100%. You can definitely screw it up. And whatever reason, as rare as they are, I've had a handful of fourth degree tears this year. And man, they're slow. Yeah. And I think we, I don't know if we can help with this, but there needs to be more education around what it means from a healing standpoint, and maybe not immediately like, oh, if you have a fourth degree tear, your life is over type of education. But like these, this, you did have a fourth degree tear. This is what that means. That is not happening right now. And that is a problem because Mm -hmm. then women think have these, they think that they should be back because their last baby, they were back or they were able to feel and move a certain way. And then it's just not that way after a fourth degree tear. So what are you, what are your thoughts on, on that? I like to use the example of ACL. You know, we all, I think as athletes, we all take the ACL very, very seriously. If it is torn, go to surgery, there is a very specific protocol that you follow and thou shalt not pass step A before you complete step A, then you go to step B and it's very linear. And they, you know, we, we, they know like this tissue is different. It has been repaired, but it wasn't what it was prior to the tear. And so I like to use that as an example and then add on to it, by the way, also similar to the ACL where we take it very seriously. And then we're going to add on very pertinent organs that are sitting right over the top of it. And we want to add in the psychosocial emotional aspect of sex because the sex organs pass through it. And then we also want to add in like daily function of urination and bowel where that passes through it. So it's like, if you're taking the ACL this seriously and it's just, you know, holding your body weight during gait and then perhaps cutting if you're lucky, um, then we want to think about all of the functions, the pelvic floor and respect it 20 times more because it's got all of these other organs associated with it. It's wild. So I've now the book that I'm writing is outlining it's kind of like the untamed version. It's, it's like untamed Jocelyn, all of the times the medical medical world, like fed, put me into a cage to ignore my pelvic health (laughs) and the ACL, my ACL story is in it, but it's wild that there's so much education on, oh no, you are not doing this until this timeline. And if you are, then I'm, you're no longer my patient because you're screwing this up. There's nothing like that with, with pelvic health. And it's wild. It's more like what happens to the pelvis and pe- our, our health from a vaginal deliver- delivery or a C-section is way more intense than ACL reconstruction. (laughs) Like ACL reconstruction is, it feels more intense. I think based on talking about women that have had the ACL surgery, went to rehab and had kids versus 
just had kids or just had ACL, but it's because I think we're so amazing at compensating and ignoring. Yeah. And I think that too, there's a deep rooted psychological, like we got a present, right? We made life, we got a baby. And so our brain does this thing where it's like, that's not so bad. (laughs) Or in some women, they know that it was very serious. Maybe their life was on the line and their baby's life was on the line. And then they come out of it and the dialogue is, well, you lived and you got a baby. What else do you want? <laughs> you know? right. So I think that it's like the whole way we frame giving life and giving birth. And there's no framework around how to care for yourself. It's all around keeping your baby alive and getting them on a sleep schedule and doing all the right parenting things. Um, so I think that all of that just like creates that paradigm. Yeah. It makes me crazy. And if I see another gender (laughs) reveal, Amanda, I'm going to throw my computer. (laughs) Why don't you start budgeting for your own self-care instead of worrying about the gender? Anyways. Okay. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about my favorite thing. Favorite thing is vaginal weights. Oh, sure. Oh my gosh. So I love, I use them in so many different ways. I, I, my favorite thing is to think about it from like, a, whenever I see mom, usually it's not first time mom. It's usually like a mom of two or a three. And <clears throat> I'm now starting seeing women before they've had babies and after, so I could see a relative difference. But my favorite thing is to use them to build bulk in the, the, in the tissues. So just as I'm thinking about how I'd program like to build tissue hypertrophy for squatting and anything else. That's how I program for the weights. And then with pelvic organ prolapse, they don't have an overactivity problem. I have people go through like they have one cycle per year so that they don't regress. They maintain that just like you would any other lift. I'm curious to see how you utilize them, being that you're the, the brain behind the weights with intimate rows. Absolutely. So um, everything that you just said, absolutely. And I would call that um, a more advanced stage progression of adding the bulk because we know that we need to do that for better support. And that is like the primary underlying notion of the ACSM guidelines for strengthening (laughs) is to like increase uh, muscle mass. Yeah, exactly. So um, completely everything that you just said. And then on the other aspect of people that are very, very low tone with poor ability to locate where their pelvic floor is in space, which is a lot of people, if not a majority of people, and including elderly people, um, the weight helps to provide a cue to the brain, almost like a flag. Here I am, here I am, I'm right here. And we call that proprioceptive input. And that's originally what the weights were incepted for. So even in a very weak person that, um, you know, I've educated them, provided biofeedback, visual cues, tactile cues, oral cues, all the cues. And they get it in clinic and they go home and they're like, I did it right. Yeah. The weight is is there to provide that immediate feedback of 
I did it right. Or if they bear down, they did it wrong. And so you can position a person in quadruped or uh, seated position where they're supported, even if they can't lift the weight positionally, but they can feel it and they can practice activating around it. So I would call that the more novice, low tone, beginner state, and then everywhere in between getting to like where you just said, we're all right, we are ready to go. We got to strengthen this pelvic floor. We need to make it withstand ballistic force. It's, and it's so motivating for the people that use them. Yes, they love it. <laughs> it's, and it's tangible. Like I, I, and I will say this to the, every owner that has, or designer that has made like LV or my f- least favorite PeriFit. Uh, <laughs> I have had way more success using the weights as a method of biofeedback than any biofeedback. So weights are much cheaper than that, than the biofeedback, the weights, there is no cheating with the weights. I mean, maybe a little bit of excessive abdominal recruitment, but I'll take that. I will absolutely (laughs) take the TA working a little bit harder because if that weight's coming out, (laughs) whereas with the biofeedback, you can cheat. Do you want to talk about how a lot of people cheat with the biofeedback machines? Yeah, a lot of them on the market don't have the capability of understanding a bear down force, which is the wrong direction versus a contract and squeeze force. A lot of them are not sensitive enough. And so a person can be at home going to town on their programming, um, doing a bear down pressure downward on the device and it's reading positively on their visual feedback and cueing them to continue and they create poor habits that can be at at best not serving them and at worst actually causing more harm and more injury um, especially when they're not being advised or um, monitored by a healthcare professional you say that so nicely So much, so sweet. And here I am like, nope, this is, this is what's happening. This is crap. I'm glad for the way you say it. (laughs) Yeah. I did just, I can't even sugarcoat it that, that there's just, there's, and then it just takes forever to set that stuff up sometimes. And like all of the other stuff, I don't, I think there definitely is a time and the place, but get I have never seen so many people feel so empowered when they say, oh my gosh, I was able to do this for 10 minutes, or I was able to, to use this weight for your five sets of five while doing this. And it's really exciting for them. And it's exciting for me. So I am super grateful for the, for the thought behind all of the stuff that you put out for it. And in fact, like I've had a couple people that have had, I mean, significant support problems. And one of the, I, I, I'm not kidding you. I was white during her exam and we didn't have that great of a vibe on the exam. And then second visit, I was basically like, here's the deal. This is what I'm just very uh, matter of fact, this is what I'm finding. This is the roadmap to where we have to go to reach your goal. So she was kind of taken back by that. She didn't know like what was about, (laughs) she was about to learn. Second visit, do, do some work, get, uh, get her connecting with her pelvic floor, do some myofascial release. Her pain is significantly better. And then 
I forget what visit we started doing the weights. Now she's taking the same yoga class with me, not thinking about her pelvic floor. Like she is just, she's like a whole different person. She was afraid to exercise before because it hurt. Like she always had pain after. Whereas now, I mean, she's, she's around in the studio, multiple classes per week. This, this woman wasn't exercising before she's not leaking. And I am not kidding you. Like it felt like, felt like a partial avulsion injury. And I'm like, this is what that means, but our body's really great at compensating. This is how I'm going to help you. And I swear the weights, it was like a whole, she had like a whole new pelvic floor vagina after when, whenever I discharged her. So that's fantastic. I love that so much. A little bit of changing gears. And I know I didn't bring this up, but one thing that I do use with the weights, like oftentimes now, especially because I'm working with people that have pretty big athletic goals and they may have some support issues, they're able to relax back to baseline. So they're not overactive. I have been having them get the weights and the wand and I'm having them use the wand as part of their recovery routine with breathing to avoid, because there's sometimes Amanda where I'm not sure if they're going to have an overactivity problem with the weights. You just never know. And that has been a helpful pair. And you don't really see, I mean, I didn't really think about getting weights and the wand. It's usually okay. They have an overactivity problem. But I think we can think about this different. Our pelvic floor is working a lot and the tool, the wand is really great. Just like any other, you know, mobility tool. What do you think? I love it. Yeah. I, I think that's totally appropriate. Cause if you think too about other restorative things we do when we're working out and exercising with intention of strength and endurance is that we'll, you know, do our lifts and then we'll do a little stretching or foam rolling in a gentle way just to help restore all of those physiological processes. And so the, I mean, that's what the wand is, is basically a foam roller for the inside of the pelvic floor. Um, and so it's also a great tool too, to help improve proprioceptive input deeply. So if they are a person who's um, needing to practice with that, they can be using the wand for both reasons. So yeah, I think spot on. What would be a shopping list? Like, let's say you were giving, I'm going to be having a baby soon and you were giving me a shopping list for after, what would you tell me would be a good idea to get? Uh, lubricant, uh, personal lubricant, because um, it, for, for self purposes and also for the use of intercourse, because it is going to be a really helpful tool. Um, the vulvar balm to help restore moisture around the perineum, um, regardless of if you had C-section or vaginal delivery. Um, when we are nursing or right after a baby, we are in a low estrogen state, and that can bring with it dryness of both the vagina and the vulvar tissue around it. So the vulvar is like a chapstick for the vulva, and it's really wonderful. So lube and balm, um, and then wand for gentle you know, mobilization of the vaginal tissue and helping to prepare for intercourse again, or if you have any difficulties with bowel movement, just helping to, you know, it's like a little self-massage tool. Um, and then the weights are a great tool to help restore that coordination, just as we've talked about. And then dilators are a tool that a lot of people who experienced tear 
um, whether or not they were um, stitched afterwards. Um, but if you had a pesiotomy or a tear and it was stitched, oftentimes that tissue is um, it's very thick and it can make intercourse painful, just downright painful. And that's not to scare people. It's just a fact of life. And you get this green light to go have sex and it's like a horror story. Like one of the worst things people have ever experienced. Um, and the dilators can help restore that tissue. Um, so that's one of the things that a lot of people are unaware of and it doesn't get talked about at that appointment. And um, yeah, it's, it's just a great tool for helping to restore elasticity around the vaginal opening and, and to prepare them to for depth of penetration again as well. Right. So I think some of the things that should be put on instead of a baby shower, maybe it should be a mom shower and this should be a postpartum care package idea. So if you guys have friends who are about to deliver a baby, one great gift idea would be a gift certificate to see someone like Amanda and myself and then, or a a gift bag that includes the Volver bomb, the lubricant, the wand, weights, and the dilator. And I will put those links in the show notes so that you can see what we're, we're talking about. Absolutely. I, Enough with the onesies already. Yes. Goodness. <laughs> goodness. Yes. I, okay. I do have another question and I know yeah. this is, this is, uh, wasn't pre-planned to ask you this. What about weights or strengthening of the external anal sphincter or the anal sphincter complex because I do see they're they're so some women are very dissociated like after a third or fourth degree tear between anti the, the genital urogenital triangle and the anal rectal triangle I think I'm saying that right rectal yeah. triangle <laughs> yes so what is your aspect of the pelvic floor that goes around the anus is a totally different aspect the pelvic yeah. floor does require that the brain knows where it is. Um, the weight. So anytime we put something into the rectum, we want to have a solid stopper like our dilators do and the weights don't have that. So for that reason, I don't recommend weight placement, not, you know, the bulb itself is a wonderful tool for that input, but um, the the way that the anal sphincter works is um, really just not conducive to it. So certainly they could use one of our small dilators, like the smallest one that's about the size of my pinky. It's comfortable to insert and they can work on pulling it up and in, um, and that can give them that proprioceptive input. And then they've got the stopper on the end as well. I will admit, Amanda, that I've tried it out Oh, you did. How did it go? <laughs> Have you, I used the small, <laughs> the small and the next size up and it was great. It worked perfectly. It was way better than using my finger because I had been testing out, okay, teaching people to do their own exam and I was having them use their finger and that's great. But like those that needed more posterior strengthening, I don't want them to have to use their finger every time. And that worked really well for me. Yay. Um, I def it definitely, I'm definitely on the stiffer side. So I could probably use it to help with some stretching. Sure. Um, but I would just use the, the wand for that. 
and the wand could be used as proprioceptive feedback as well. So they both oh. work because it's not yeah. like, so Amanda mentioned that having a stopper, the wand has a shape that you're not going to be sticking the whole thing in there. Yep. You got it. So that works as well. It works well too. But, um, any other, who, who was a favorite person for you to work with getting them back to running any special case that you just, anytime you just had holds a separate a special place in your heart, your clinical heart. Yes, absolutely. Um, I actually had a fellow PT, um, corner me, uh, you know, as we do tend to get cornered. Um, but she was so insightful. So she was a physical therapist. She was an inpatient physical therapist, so not pelvic floor. So she's someone that works in a hospital, helps people who are very ill, um, just a really incredible person. And she had deep groin pain um, that she was doing all of the physical therapy things that she knew to do as an inpatient therapist. She was stretching and doing all these things and it wasn't resolving. And she was a runner looking to run her first half marathon. And, um, she said, I feel like this might be coming from my pelvic floor. Do you think I should come see you? And I was, you know, I said, absolutely, please do. Um, and so she came and saw me and sure enough, she had tender points up in the anterior aspect of pubertalis. So part of the pelvic floor in the front of her pelvis, and then alongside one of the side compartments of her pelvic floor. Um, and she had, of course, booked this first half marathon ever. And um, we're here in Oregon. And it was one of these dream races. She booked it in Vermont during the fall to see the leaves change. So, you know, she had plane tickets, hotel, sure. and she paid, I mean, this is like thousands of dollars that she's paid to go have this experience and it was coming up and she was in a lot of pain and she was not able to even complete her training runs. Um, but she was just a really quick learn. She, you know, we were addressing tender points, using the wand, doing manual therapy. One of the key things that I loved about her is that she was so self-aware, you know, and she was like, look, I am high strong. There's no good reason. I have no history of trauma. I'm happy in my marriage. Like she's, she was just like, but I'm a stressful person. And, you know, she would work doing very compassionate care all day at the hospital. And then, you know, she was under stress and, um, you know, a lot of times culture screams like meditation, mindfulness. So she was going to yoga and it was actually making her worse because during yoga, it's quiet. And she was having to like process her day and it was just winding her up more. Like that was not helpful to her. And so we got to have this conversation about, you know, you don't have to be a person that goes to yoga, like go, go for a walk outside, go for a hike. And so she started looking to other more active avenues where she could be more in touch with herself and processing her thoughts that weren't her laying on a floor with 20 other people being barked at to relax. Right. <laughs> um, but she, you know, she was very um, motivated. She did the program. We got her back into her training pyramid and she totally did the race and she rocked it and it was incredible. And it's just, it was just really special because she, she knew something's not right here. It's not going according to plan. And also like, she had some barriers about like, I don't want to do, like, I don't want to do X. I don't want to do Y. And we were able to work together and just get great resolution. And I think it was, um, good creativity on both of our parts. And it was just really fun. That's awesome. I loved hearing like, the awareness piece, but then also you don't have to do like the standard things of, you don't have to do yoga. Like there's other things because I think a lot of people will, will resonate with that. 
Well, in this set, we, so we talked about what you commonly see with women that are getting back to running the two camps, the ones that are just given the green light and they go zero to 60. And then you have the ones that avoid it altogether. And we talked about solutions to that. We talked about your take on helping women, both novice and more experienced women get back to running. And the big thing is everyone's different. Everyone's journey's different. Their program's different. And the really important key there is the exam that, that helps you identify what the person needs. Not everyone needs to wait three months. Not everyone is ready at three months. And then we talked about my favorite weights and how to use trainer or different tools to help train the pelvic floor, both if you need strengthening or bulk, or if you need to use it for recovery or pain. And then we talked about your last case. So anything else, Amanda, anything coming up that you want to promote or just share with the audience? Well, I would love to have um, people join us on social media, on Instagram. Um, for providers, my next public floor and running course is going to be taught in November through the Academy of Public Health. You can register for that online. Um, we have some secret products that are going to launch probably in the next six months or so. So do stay tuned. And it does have to do uh, with people with rectal and um, posterior pelvic floor dysfunction. And I'm super psyched. Um, so I can't reveal any more details than that, but stay tuned. And um, I think that those are the biggies now, but I always love, I always love a good chance to talk running and I always love hearing your input. So thank you so much. You are welcome. And thank you for your time and your expertise. And I just appreciate all the work that you do. Uh, it, what is the best way for people to get in contact with you or your team about anything pelvic health? So Absolutely. professionals, we know professionals, how can they versus patients or clients? Yes. The best way right now is support at intimaterose.com and that will help um, get people funneled into um, which, which avenue they need. Um, for patients, I've got um, a whole bunch of different guides, hundreds of guides and um, kind of how-tos on the website at www.intimaterose.com. Um, and then Instagram is a great means of um, connecting. And that's the Intimate Rose account? Intimate Rose, awesome. yes. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. We are, I will, we will be chatting soon. It'll be here before we know it in September. So <laughs> look out for that. And we're going to be talking about, I believe, was it sex? I think so. Yeah. Something yeah. related to sex. I forget <laughs> the specifics, but everyone stay tuned to that. And Amanda, did we get real today? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for listening until next time on real talk with the pelvic docs.